It's Friday and you're listening to TGIF, the podcast that brings you all the in-depth conversations about your favourite or not-so-favourite horror movies. I'm your host Kat and this week I am joined once again for a very special episode of TGIF with Lucy. How are you going? Welcome back. Hello, I'm happy to be back. It's, it's good to be back. How are you doing? I'm um, not too bad. I'm really good. I think. <laughs> not That's how I am most days. <laughs> am I good? I think I'm good. <laughs> I might be. I'm, I'm, I'm just <laughs> average, to be honest. It's just, eh. I think average yeah. is completely justified, especially right now. With everything going on in the world, that is completely a-okay. <laughs> My life is a little bit back to normal. Um, the only thing I am really missing is live gigs. We still have to sit down. Even though 100 people at a wedding can dance together. I miss gigs. Uh, yeah, this is what we were saying about contradictory laws and rules earlier. Yeah, it's just weird. It's all <sighs> over the place. Yeah, I mean, my government's just messed up anyway, to be perfectly honest. They <laughs> politicised the entire COVID. I mean, we've done a really, a really good job, and I see a lot of people on social media saying, well, have a look at what Australia's done. And it's like, yeah, but do you know the trauma our government has put us through? Like, it's not, it hasn't been fun. No, I can imagine. And while Boris Johnson is ah, just, <laughs> well, you only need to look five minutes to know. <laughs> and that really annoys me because, like, you, you having to be a part of the UK that you basically subjected to his absolute bullshit as well even though you don't want to be hopefully independence referendum again at some point <laughs> we will hope. just recently had one didn't you or is that ireland no it well it was us in i think it's when it was 2015 or 2016 it was a very very close call and there has been um talks of having another one um nicholas surgeon who's our um first minister msp she's been fighting for it but the thing with re referendums here is that the prime minister has to, prime minister of the uk has to sign off for you to have an independence <laughs> referendum and he's completely against it for scotland so he's like nope you're not doing it so we can't get anywhere with it just yet it sucks yeah hopefully one day one day yeah, soon that'll be nice <laughs> <laughs> Um, so the movie that we're talking about today is Bit. Um, I actually asked you to be a guest to specifically talk about this film, uh, mainly because you and I have a lot of the same thoughts on these kinds of things. Um, and I just thought it would be a really interesting conversation for our listeners because this episode is launching during Women in Horror Month. So what... I wanted to do was basically talk about a really cool film, but also talk about some um, sociological aspects that they do put into film and what makes these types of films really important for discourse when it comes to feminism and intersectionality. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so basically the story of Bit is about a transgendered, uh, 18 year old girl who moves to LA and basically falls in with a bunch of queer feminist vampires and they basically become besties out of necessity so 
uh, BJ Colangelo, Colangelo, I'm really sorry. I, with my accent, everything sounds horrible. Australians I will probably butcher your name, English. You, so don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> we have ruined English for the entire world. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> in an article that they wrote for Bloody Disgusting, um, called Bit the Intersectional Feminist Vampire Movie You Didn't Know You Needed. And it is everything I wanted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so before we get started, we're going to talk a little bit about intersectional feminism. So what is intersectional feminism for you, Lucy? Um, I would say intersectional feminism, it, it broadens the lens of what people to think of traditional feminism, because traditional feminism, we tend to think, is largely focused on the experiences of cisgender, straight women, they're predominantly white, they're predominantly middle class, but intersectional feminism looks at the broader experiences and the inequalities that we all face and how, how they intersect with each other, such as classism, racism, ableism, um, looking at issues um, for trans women as well. It, it's, it's about that, you know, these inequalities aren't equal to each other, you know, they all... They, especially with what's going on in the world. But it's about, you know, denying people their rights and their equal opportunities from all facets of inequality. And I, I, I think I'm blabbering on a bit just now, but <laughs> in a nutshell, <laughs> I think <laughs> I've gotten it right there a little bit. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly how I see it as well. Um, the term was coined by a professor named uh, Kimberly Crenshaw in 1989, and that's basically what she did was to discuss how um, concepts and and aspects of race, uh, class, gender, and other characteristics intersect and overlap, and how that intersection affects their lives. So. Um, having intersectionality and feminism is really important because then we are able to include everybody in feminism and what their, um, their equality and what they need to, to be equal. So I, I explained to someone uh, recently that I'm not, I love the term equality, but I'm an equalist. So um, I want everybody to have access to the things that they need for everybody to be equal. So it's not about giving everybody the same thing because that's what equality is essentially. Well, in very basic terms <laughs> that we're, we're all given the same thing to be equal. You know, everyone's saying, oh, well, men and women should get this. But in reality, um, women need just a little bit more than what men need to be at the same level, that, that, that um, level of resources. And understanding as well. No, I would completely agree with that. I understand the concept behind equality and I understand there's good intentions with it. But as you say, some some people, you know, we're mentioning women here, um, within within that, um, different women require different resources for them to truly have the same opportunities as as the as as everyone else for everybody to truly have access to to everything that that they need. You know, some people might say the standard is something like free education, but you know, some people might not have access. You could get education, but they might not have housing, or they might, you know, that there's a variety of facets that kind of go into that. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I'm talking, like, that's exactly what I was saying about how everybody needs, it's an individualized thing, really. It, it can't be like, well, you get this and you get this and you get this. We've all given you the same thing and we expect you to all reach that same level in society or um, to perform the same way in society when that's not uh, the reality of um, of society, really. <laughs> so, and um yeah, so intersectional feminism is completely different to radical feminism as well. So radical feminism was born in a time where white fe- like white feminists were fighting for their right to vote. And um, it just, it's, um, yeah, it has definitely evolved over time. And so I have a real big issue with radical feminism because it is racist, it is ableist, it is homophobic, um, it's trans-exclusive, it um yeah it poses a lot of contradictory um thoughts to what feminism should actually be and a lot of it is male exclusive as well whereas um my feminism um includes you know men also having the rights that they need to um to be a contributing member in society too no, exactly. Exactly. I would. I would completely agree. Especially, I think you know, since it's the past. Well, I was going to say past year. We're in twenty twenty one now, which is wild. But you know, especially <laughs> since since COVID and things. I think, and I I never claim to be an expert. I think we're all learning, and we all make mistakes. It's important to to realize your mistakes and learn and educate yourself. But I think you know we we are especially with Gen Z as well. We're kind of coming into this age where people are willing to be more educated and they're speaking out more but it's also like it's kind of shown other sides like radical feminism as you say and people not being inclusive and saying I'm a feminist but that doesn't include trans women I'm a feminist but it doesn't include x y and z and and that's not what the the basis of feminism is really when you go down to its core value so yeah, absolutely. And I think that one of the major major barriers to intersectional feminism is that there's this misconception that it is misandry cloaked in feminism. And I'm going to get it out there. I do not hate men. Yes, I will make fun of mediocre white men because they are a fucking joke. <laughs> <laughs> but in saying that, I am 100% against dismantling patriarchal views in our legal system, in our education system, in our social and cultural norms, in our gender roles, and basically getting rid of this whole, oh, my family's matriarchal and my family's patriarchal. And it's just, yeah, it's 2021. (laughs) Come on, people. Nobody benefits from the patriarchy. Nobody. No. No. exactly and um yeah it's so frustrating that we feel like we have to make that statement that we don't we don't hate men and i drink that i don't hate men do do i make jokes about cis cis het white men of course i do because it's funny (laughs) (laughs) but think of all the centuries that people have made fun of of women i'm you know like i think yeah i think we're we're justified to make a joke or two now and again (laughs) Oh, I just like making jokes about how mediocre men are just so 
oblivious and entitled. And that's more like a black humour making um making light of a situation where i'm probably the punchline in all this because i'm the queer woman who would definitely suffer from that type of situation happening like you know a male getting promoted and you know they don't have the same qualifications that i do and i like to make jokes about those kinds of situations because i know i'm the one that's actually suffering from that situation yeah, exactly. And it's even um, when you're talking about that, I, I will make jokes sometimes about like being queer as well, making jokes today of my friends like, like can you not sit in, in a chair properly? And I'm like, obviously I can. I'm queer. Are you joking me? I can't sit normally. <laughs> <laughs> it's not in my DNA. <laughs> I'm meant to sit this way. <laughs> and I think that yeah, that kind of um, acknowledgement is um, definitely something our generation has turned into humour rather than just letting it not be discussed at all. Yeah. Definitely. I appreciate that. Definitely. I just, oh, the amount of times I will say to my partner, oh, mediocre men. <laughs> He's just like, yeah, I get it. and that makes it even better when they acknowledge it as well and they're like yeah even I don't like me too sometimes (laughs) oh sometimes he'll even be like oh men (laughs) (laughs) and it's mainly the older generation to oh no I can't say that scrap that thought because there are so many men in our generation that are just entitled dickheads yeah (laughs) it's unavoidable but it is a situation where we can educate we can now have open discourse about the things that impact all of us and I even had my I think my brother is maybe I feel like he's 22 maybe yeah I'm nine years older than him that makes sense um (laughs) and he called me and said Kat I want to learn more about feminism where do I start And it was just the coolest experience for me because I was like, he called me out of all his, he's got friggin' um, six sisters and he called me. (laughs) That's that's amazing. Yeah, I am the oldest though, so that probably makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) But still though, the, you know, the fact that he went to you, he could have gone to anyone or could have just looked at, you know, done his own research but he wanted to hear from you like that's yeah that's that was cool. really special for me yeah because he um he he was watching something with his partner and he it was about feminism and something was said about men and he got frustrated and he was like oh fucking turn this shit off I don't want to watch it but then he said to me he's like Kat I realize now that I got frustrated because I didn't understand and I was like the accountability Yes. Yes. So I'm giving a little a little applause. <laughs> and it, I was it's... like, can you come over so I can hug you? <laughs> it's even like it um, nice. like with with, with my mum. But bless my mum. She she really does try to educate herself, but she does she doesn't always know. So like I was trying to explain to her how she has privilege. So, so my mom was like, I, I don't really understand how I have have privilege because she's she's had quite a difficult background and she's she's suffered with a lot of different things. And I was like, I, I know you've had these and, you know, there are certain inequalities you face, but because 
you are white and you're middle class, you do have these certain privileges and here's why. And that she's wrapped her brain around it now, but she was just like, she couldn't understand it, but she, she was willing to learn and she was asking me questions. I'm like, yes, thank you. Like she's in her, she's <laughs> yeah. in her fifties and she's learning. And the best thing as well is like, I mean, I, I don't use Facebook, Facebook very often. She does. And she's become a little keyboard warrior for like and homophobes and all this. And she's like, you can't be doing this. And like getting all angry in the comments section. <laughs> I love it. Yes. <laughs> I love that. I love a keyboard warrior queen. <laughs> um, oh, what was I going to say? The thing is that a lot of people um, misconstrue this concept of privilege as individual privilege rather than socially constructed privilege for that particular demographic of people. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's really hard to explain to some people. And my dad always gives me this example that Um, He was watching something about football and a social scientist was talking about in Australia, there is always going to be that 1%. The 1% of people that just refuse to change their way of thinking, they're stuck in this really toxic mindset and they're just so um, adamant on not learning anything. And that's fine. I'll just change the 99%. Don't worry. I got this. (laughs) You got this. (laughs) We do it. Um, so the film bit does a really great job of showing intersectionality without making it a real big, um, narrative piece. And I think that that's what I really appreciate about, um, about Brad Michael Elmore's writing and his directing that, um, he didn't want to make the fact that Laurel is trans the be all and end all of the film and that it's the only plot piece with significant importance because it's not it, exactly it it doesn't define her as a character it's just part of who she is what what i really like about it is um i think the one time it's maybe addressed so one of the rules of the gang is that they they never turn a man and then um i think laurel she questions her gender identity but then somebody says never crossed my mind you know doesn't matter that's it end of discussion you're a woman yeah. you're part of the gang fuck men <laughs> don't worry about it it's you're fine not a man. Uh, and that's, that's what i love it. it's just it that's it and then it's you know yeah because um bj congello who was in that same bloody disgusting piece wrote about this moment saying it's a very subtle and throwaway moment to the untrained eye but duke's steadfast affirmation that laurel's gender identity is valid and worthy with one sentence is probably the most important moment of transgender representation ever portrayed in a horror film i would agree with that yeah when I, I read, I love this article. I'm going to link it in the show notes because it's a, it's a really interesting piece. And um, Congelo just, she, well, they, sorry, um, just writes really amazing, amazing stuff. I, I love their work. So I've read a few articles of theirs recently. They had one on Assassination Nation. I retweeted it. So. Um, oh, I need to, yeah. I need to read that. It's really good. Yeah, it was really oh, good. Oh, I'm excited to read that. <laughs> I realized there was a lot of discourse going on about Assassination Nation and I was like right who hates it because you know (laughs) if um if the you know LGBT community hates it then I'm I've got to support that I've got to be on and support that but it was the other way around thank goodness (laughs) like oh yes I can still love it 
I, I, I still, still love this film. <laughs> yeah, they're actually talking about Sam Levinson's new film. Oh, um, what's his new film? Uh, something in Malcolm? Malcolm After and like- Marie or something? I can't remember, but it was more that um, people are viewing his new film as this... Uh, response to how assassination nation wasn't critically acclaimed straight away as this amazing film so yeah there's apparently some connotations that that's what he um portrays through this new film so i'm interested yeah just well it hasn't come out yet but they um maybe it has i'll find that out (laughs) like i like my interest but yeah, I can see where people are coming up with that um, criticism of the film. So yeah. We'll see. Um, let's go to the start of the film. We're just going to highlight some important parts throughout the film um, and then discuss um, the the concepts that we've already gone through with intersectionality and feminism and um, different rights um, that women do have. Mm-hmm. Um, although that doesn't really come up a lot in this, which is good. So except like the vampire hunters who are really misogynistic and <laughs> horrible. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the film opens with two people kissing in a warehouse. There's a lot of thank you for this. I love you. Um, they're interrupted with a bunch of women <laughs> who we find out are vampires um so the gang is uh duke frog izzy and Roya, and they're just really friggin cool i want to be their friends honestly that's the kind of group i'm like i i would i would have idolized them i still do now to be honest i just want to be their friends (laughs) (laughs) who do you relate to the most in this out of this group of of women oh god i don't know i'm trying to think I like all of them. Um, maybe Duke. I'm t- I'm just trying oh, yeah. to. Yeah, Duke's pretty cool. What about you? Um, probably Roya. Yeah. <laughs> just because she's badass, and I'd shave my head if I looked that good with a shaved head. Oh yeah, it's iconic. <laughs> yeah, and the thing is, she looks so familiar. And then when I looked up in other films, I'm like, I haven't seen you anywhere. Where are you from? <laughs> I, I've seen your face somewhere. And because she does have a very, um, recogn- like, not recognisable, but one you wouldn't forget if you saw it somewhere else. So I have yeah. no idea where I'd um, I love this scene because it's just got this, um, like, kick-ass meets Scott Pilgrim meets Assassination Nation meets, like, all of the iconic horror, like, teenage coming-of-age films. I totally, because, totally agree. It kind of reminds yeah. me of like, it's like a love child of like Assassination Nation, Buffy, The Craft, yeah. if they were all kind of done right, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. And they, um, yeah, they're just so cool. The fashion's cool. They're all so, um, so individual as well. So they're very distinct characters in themselves. They're not generic. They're, they're amazing. We find out more about their stories later on in the film, and it's just really cool how the information is given to us. So basically, the blonde who is Duke, 
um, <laughs> absolutely annihilates this dude's leg and um, bites the neck of him, sucks all... I... See, this is the thing where I'm just like, okay, but what about if vampires drink other vampire blood? Don't they die? I don't that's know. Quite a, that's quite a common lore, mm. I think. But I think it's... Yeah, but they don't. That's fine. Um, and they throw the woman in, um, well, they, they capture her and they throw her in the hole for one year. And it ends, this opening scene ends with no fucking boys. <laughs> and I love that. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> no boys. No boys allowed. And then um, we have the title card with Bit and the really cute fangs on the eye. I love that. Oh, that it was, was cute. so cute. I'm gonna I'm gonna get fangs tattooed on me somewhere. Oh, you should. I love vampire movies. Um, then we meet Laurel, who has just graduated from high school in her small town in Oregon. Um, she is spending her last night in town with her best friend Andy at a party before she leaves the next day to spend the summer with her brother and Mark in Los Angeles. Um, so Laurel is um, played by. Uh, I had her name written down. Uh, Nicole Maines. Because I always go to call her Stephanie Maines. And I was like, that's not her name. <laughs> uh, Nicole Maines, who is actually quite significant in transgender activism. So she's a model, she's an actress, and she's also a trans activist. Um, Nicole was actually the anonymous plaintiff, Susan Doe, in the Maine Supreme Judicial Court case Doe v. Regional School Unit 26 regarding gender identity and the bathroom use in schools. So I'm assuming that in a lot of schools throughout the US that um, you will have to use the bathroom that you like uh, in regard to the gender you were assigned at birth, um, which obviously for uh, transgender individuals, this is incredibly traumatic. Um, it causes a lot of uh, gender dysphoria and is just, that's not their gender. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, it's quite a horrific experience, I can imagine. Traumatizing all round and just no need for it at all. Yeah. Really. It's school. E exactly. How How is it, how, how, how is it going to affect your daily life where, where someone uses the bathroom you know just it, 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 it baffles me when people make that argument it really does yeah it's a really um just a nitpicking situation where people are trying to sensationalize the fact that they think they're going to be sexually assaulted when someone just wants to use the fucking bathroom like it's a toilet exactly people just want to go to the fucking bathroom you're the one sexualizing it, you weirdo. Yes. Yeah, if if anything, you're the one that's making it dark and harrowing and dangerous. Yeah. You're putting those connotations out there when it, it, it didn't need to be. So Yeah. So who's the real problem here? <laughs> exactly. Turfs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I really like the dynam dynamic between Laurel and Andy, and I kind of wish that there was more Andy in the film, but I kind of get why there isn't. He yeah. just seems like the gay BFF to me. Yeah, I would have liked to see more of, more of that dynamic, but I, I, I understand, especially with how many characters there are in this as well, and you yeah. want to have character development. There's only so much that you can you can show. 
Oh, um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, but it's all right. And we kind of get a sense of um, doom already because Andy's worried that Laura will drift away from him and their relationship's going to suffer and she'll never come home. And, um, well, we already know this is a vampire film, so <laughs> she probably ain't coming home. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the next day, Laurel's leaving and she's saying goodbye to her parents. Um, her mum is really cute. I love her parents. Um, they're pretty wholesome. We don't really see a lot of them in this film besides this scene and then another scene towards the end. And that's it. Uh, but they're really cool. They're, I love when Laurel's already left and the dad's like, uh, so she's gone. Should should we go have sex now? <laughs> oh, that was so good. Because <laughs> it's totally something parents would say anyway. It's realistic, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's not just them, you know, you know, the typical kind of scene when when in a movie a kid goes to college or a kid moves or whatever it is and they're crying and they're absolutely devastated and the whole way, you know, they're just like, all right, want to go upstairs now? <laughs> We've got the place <laughs> to ourselves. Let's yeah, let's get naked. <laughs> Later, Laurel arrives um, at the apartment and we meet her brother Mark and that night they go out to see a live band at the Echo, which I have been to and it is the coolest music venue I've ever seen in my life. It just blew my mind because so much is going on in that place. So it's a really cool venue. I just wanted to throw that out there because what, what did what there. did you go see? What I went to emo night. <gasps> I've always wanted to go to one of those. I'm so incredibly jealous of you right now. <laughs> I um so a couple of years ago I met Tony Lovato, who is the singer of Mest, because he's friends with like a friend of mine and Ned's. And I went to an after party for Newfound Glory and he was like, hey, what are you doing here? And I was like, what are you doing here? And then I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> I'm obviously not meant to be here. You live in Los Angeles, so that makes sense. <laughs> and then it was so weird because two weeks later, we're at uh, the Echo with um, some others of my, like uh, one of our friends from back home was there. And uh, another friend used to run a vegan food stand within Emo Night. So we got to cut like the entire, the line was like a kilometre long for this place. And we had just come from a Dodgers game and I was like, oh, fuck, we are not getting in. Then my friend called me and he's like, come to the front gate. And I was like, yes. (laughs) I don't have to wait. (laughs) <laughs> and it's so weird because he's Australian He's that was his first time at emo night as well and I was like how do you do this oh. and um, as we were walking into the venue Tony Lovato is there again and he's like you guys and we're like what are you following me and so we go in and it's this massive it's just a huge venue from what I remember and Craig Mabbott from Escape the Fate and John Feldman who does most of um, like every band you can ever imagine is recording and producing, are on stage like DJing. And then John Feldman's in a suit with a tie and just like stage dives and crowd surfs out of the venue. And we were like, where am I? And then you can go downstairs into like a basement style room or you can go upstairs and there's like another band room upstairs and an outside. It's just the most intense music venue I've ever been to I want to go to LA specifically just for emo night and to go to echo because it sounds like such an experience there are just people from bands everywhere uh Ronnie Radke from um from 
he was Escape the Fate. Um, what's he, Falling in Reverse was there. Bo Boken from uh, Bless the Fall. Like, everywhere you looked, there was just, like, band members from your childhood there. And I was like, what? What is this? The nostalgia. My God. Yeah. And the thing is, they were just hanging out drinking. Like, if they were in Australia, people would not have left them alone. But in LA, they would have just, like, lost their shit and be like, oh, my God. And crowds everywhere. Yeah, exactly. So it was just really cool. It was a really cool night. And I drank a... Uh, a Bud Light that was the size of my head. Like, the can was just so big. I was like, I was very hungover the next day. Oh, worth it, though. Definitely. Um, It was a lot of fun. So everyone who, when world is back to normal, go to LA and go to Emo Night. Run by the proper Emo Night, guys, because there's a spinoff where people have tried to do the same thing and it's just not the same. Or you can come to Australia and go to AMPM, which is our Emo Night, and it's run by my friend Toby, who does a really really good job of it oh i'll have to look at that we don't have anything like that here sadly you could do it yourself <laughs> i will start i will start our version of emo night yeah. in scotland it's gonna happen just do your own that's <laughs> my, my friend went over to emo night to research how they do it so that he could run something similar here that's what i have to do you see i have to, i have to go to the og one <laughs> and then bring it yeah. over <laughs> It's just, it's, yeah, it's one of the coolest events I've ever been to. So we're at the Echo, which is, like I said, coolest venue in the whole world. Um, the girls that we saw at the start of the film cut the line and basically helped Mark and Laurel get through using um, their vampire influence. Well, Duke does anyway. Um, they're watching the band. Laurel goes over to the bar and meets Izzy. Um, who is, I don't have, who, why don't I have that open? It doesn't matter. Uh, Zole um, Griggs. That is what I have. Oh, I might right. be butchering that name, but um, Z- Zuli, I think, yeah. Yeah, I have got it written down. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Izzy invites her to go to a party downtown. Laurel's going to the bathroom and later she's confronted by a man that tells her she shouldn't go with them. So he's warning her, don't go, whatever. Laurel, of course, goes to the party downtown. <laughs> <laughs> because who would listen to some creepy old do- dude in the hallway near a bathroom? No one. Party. <laughs> um, it's really cool. They're in a pretty cool space. There's arcade machines, pool tables. Everyone's having a good time. Um, as Laura walks in, we kind of start hearing the sounds of a someone crying and whimpering. And um, Laura's actually standing over the top of a really fancy looking drain, but she kind of shrugs it off and is like, eh, "Whatever." Um. Duke's playing pool. She wins against these two men and takes them upstairs to a bedroom where she handcuffs one of them and they think they're going to have like some sexy threesome. Um, But she actually just basically bites one of them and then tells the guy that's handcuffed that he's there because of the thing that he thought he would get away with. Um, and he's freaking out because he's like, how do you know about that? And she's like, uh, my super sexy vampire power is silly. Obviously. Just, obviously. <laughs> Which I thought was really cool. Um, so basically at this point we realise that Duke is punishing men. Um, but th- we, we find out later why that's important and why that is what she does. Um, on the roof, Izzy and Laurel are getting quite close. Um, 
Izzy, uh, they're talking about what they want to do with their lives. Izzy directs music clips. And Laurel admits that she doesn't know what she wants to do, but she wants to help people who are going through a hard time. Um, it's really, for me, I didn't like this scene just because the scripting was really corny. Um, wasn't a fan. That That's probably the only part of the film where I was like, oh, this they could have just made out and it would have been fine. <laughs> yeah, just get just get to the vicar. It's fine. <laughs> no, I, 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 I want to hear that. I, I get that. I can't remember the specific details of it because it, ha- it has been a few weeks since I've seen Bit, but I, I can I can see justification for that. Yeah, I get. Well, we're, it's part of character arc. the The scripting was just a little bit weak for me compared to everything else that goes on the on in the film. Yeah, yeah. Um, Laurel and her are kind of having um oh because laurel asks izzy can i see you again and izzy says no this is probably just a one night thing and so laurel gets up to walk away and she's like oh no it's totally fine totally fine and we see izzy come up behind laurel sweep her head aside and bite right into laurel's neck so duke appears on the rooftop and tells izzy to stop um don't kill her i like her well let's keep her um and then Duke is speaking to Laurel, saying, you know, um, you shoveled some shit in your lifetime. How would you like to hold the keys of the kingdom for once? Do you understand what it is I'm asking you? How about we give you some time to think about it if you survive? And just fucking launches Laurel off the side of the warehouse into a dumpster. Yep, in a nutshell. <laughs> like, I thought she landed on a car, but because she wakes up in a dumpster the next day, I was like, okay, at least she landed in the dumpster. At least there might have been a, a bit of cushioning, I suppose. Yeah. Be stinky, but at least she didn't crash into a car. <laughs> um, she wonders, she wakes up, obviously surviving, um, and makes it back to her uh, brother's apartment. She's kind of got like bite mark on her neck and this gross thing like um like black almost under her skin like a rash yeah Um, yeah and she just says to mark i fell which is a real common thing that women will say when they've been physically hurt by somebody else because we minimize violence against ourselves we do and it's it's the the concept i fell or i you know Oh, I'm so clumsy. I did this. It, it's it's never really questioned very often, both both in real life and in media. It's just kind of seems, oh, yeah. okay. Or if there is some suspicion, it's no, this yeah. I, I suppose I would say it sometimes gets sweeped under the carpet, and they're like, okay, she doesn't want to talk about it. I'm not going to push it, but then they don't offer offer help for the situation. Yeah, it's just left at that. <laughs> uh, later that night. Mark basically forces Laurel to eat, and when she does eat, she ends up rushing to the bathroom and throwing up a shit ton of blood. Now, this film isn't pretty. This film isn't really gruesome, so this part I was like, "Oh, all right." <laughs> I love a bit of Gloria, and it reminded me a little bit of Jennifer's body. You know, when she goes to oh. Needy's house, and it, but it's like the black vomit. It kind of reminded me yeah, of that a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And I do love that scene. I, I, oh, Jennifer's Body, I love that movie. Oh, so good. Um, uh, later that night, Laurel has a dream and 
she's having a dream that she's standing over the drain and like pulling her teeth out and spitting into the drain, like blood into the drain, which this does become important later on. Um, so she, there's also the dream of the door and um, the vault that we find out more about later. Um, she's woken up by a knock at the door and it's the girls basically saying, you are meant to meet us. What are you doing? Now, I really love this because Mark comes out in his boxer shorts and she's like, Mark, can you get dressed? And he's like, how rude of me to be in my fucking living room in the middle of the fucking night in my boxers. <laughs> and Izzy's like, you can stay like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <can> <laughs> uh, they all leave to go out for the night and Laurel um, is asking, am I a vampire now? And Duke's, do you want to be? Laurel tells Duke that she was worried, uh, she wasn't worried that they were going to kill her because her life has already been kind of a horror movie. <laughs> and I was like, oh, girl, I get you. <laughs> I felt that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Later on, um, they drive to a warehouse and... Basically, they're giving her the lowdown on what their whole group is. They don't kill innocent people if they don't, um, if they, well, they try not to kill innocent people. And Duke says, we're not a movement, we're a terrorism organisation at best. And what I really love is Duke's monologue here where she's talking about um, the, the female body and how women and our bodies are made to be suspect, we're othered, we're not respected. Um, and it's a really, really cool um, little piece of script that I really enjoyed because she ends it with, we're made to be monsters, so let's be monsters. And I was like, that is cool. I I, I really like that. Um, and I think um, it, it also connotates to just horror in general. As much as we have um, these tropes, like the final girls, and we can see that women can be... Um, you know, badasses, they can also be grotesque and a lot of horror films let us explore, you know, sexuality and um, coming of age and all these kinds of things. Women do get sexual, well, not just horror in all facets of life, but if we look at horror (laughs) movies specifically, 99% of the time women are sexualized, they're seen as other, even if they are like, even if they are like a final girl, like I'm just thinking of Ripley from Alien is just as, just an example, but to see that her saying like, okay, they see us as monsters, then just let's let us be fucking monsters then, and yeah, do it with pride. Yeah, style. absolutely. <laughs> I love that she is then breaking down the rules to them, and she's like, "All right, the first rule of Butt Club," and all the girls are like, "What? That's what we're calling it now." <laughs> Um, so rule one is you never glamour another vampire. Uh, number two, you kill what you eat, otherwise it turns. And number three, you never turn a man. Uh, Duke says it's off limits. Men can't handle power. They already have it and look what they've done with it. I love that line. Yeah. <laughs> I just love that line. Duke has some really good lines in this film. I think that's why I really like Duke. It, it's just that um, no, apolo- no apologies you know, just yeah. completely un- unapologetic. Yeah, she's great. Although she's not so great towards the end. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that. Yeah. Um. So after this, we do have 
that scene where um, Laurel asks, what about me? And Duke says, it never crossed my mind. And they all vote Laurel in to join the V squad. Um, Duke also gives Laurel a cure and says, okay, well, you can either drink this or you have to drink blood. You make the decision. Um, Duke pulls out a bound and gagged man out of his boot, out of her boot, um, named Jacob. And I love how she describes Jacob. Like, Jacob is a conspiracy theorist who sits on Twitter telling women that um, they deserve to uh, be raped to death. And, like, um, oh, what was it? That there's, like, a conspiracy theory that there's a group of female vampires killing off men in the Los Angeles area. And I was like, okay, well, he wasn't lying about that was he <laughs> he would definitely be an anti-masker let's be honest oh yeah <laughs> i i love just love how she describes him um so duke cuts open his head and he's basically like laurel you need to drink his blood her fangs are attract but she isn't mentally able to drink any of his blood so she doesn't do it um and she basically runs away um when they go back into the warehouse, they've somehow, I kind of got confused at this scene. They were lured into a trap by, or I think these guys who were vampire hunters had followed Jacob wherever um, the girls had taken him in the boot. So there's a couple of vampires in their hideout, their warehouse, and they brutally attack the group of girls. So they burn Frog, um, which he does recover. Uh, Duke is trapped in this horrific-looking bear trap, um, which was pretty brutal. It was kind of like a saw contraption. That's what I was uh, thinking. Some, something from Saw, like the bear trap in, in all the movies. Yeah, that's the head first thing. thing I thought. Yeah. And Laura runs away, uh, but soon after sees Jacob run past her, and she's just like, okay, something has gone wrong because this guy's escaped. And she goes back to the warehouse where in the warehouse uh the old guy from the echo is basically shooting up the place he shot two of the vampire hunters and we find out um sorry before that he says to duke to unlock the vault like i'm linked to the master give me the key and in that moment laurel returns to the warehouse to save them bites the neck of the older man and therefore completing her um her turning into becoming a vampire. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So she decided that she was going to save her friends that she knew for all the 24 hours. <laughs> that tells you something about teenagers, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> if you find the group, you're going to be like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to stick by the group and die by the group. Yeah. It's just like, really? Yeah. That's all right. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so we find out that, this guy was a, a familiar to the master and Duke tells Laurel the story of the master. Um, and I love this thing that she says to Laurel before she starts telling her story. And she says, it takes a lot of guts for people in this day and age to exist, let alone be who they truly are. And I was like, Oh, yep. My feels. <laughs> I know that kind of hits home a little bit. <laughs> even yeah. e even now, you know, well, there is still a lot of progress to be made for acceptance of 
a variety of different facets of yourself but to, to really to really internally look at yourself and accept who you are is an incredibly difficult thing and I still struggle with it on a daily basis at 26 like and it, yeah it can I'm sure it's going to continue for much longer than that as well <laughs> no doubt about it and that's and that's something that I think a lot of people who are struggling with their identity acknowledge as well and I think it's important that they do acknowledge that yes you can be who you truly are uh and you're also allowed to struggle. Yeah, definitely. And you don't have to define yourself. You don't owe anyone anything in that sense. Exactly. It's, it's you know, and that can change as well. We evolve and change all the time. So yeah. you might believe you're one thing or feel you're one thing and then it might change later on. That's completely okay. And like you say, you don't have to tell anyone that if you don't, you don't want to because it's nobody's business but your own. So absolutely I love that that's what I tell everybody I was like who do you owe this to the only person you owe this to is you that's it preach (laughs) so um we find that we find out that at 15 Duke had run away to New York City because she is a lesbian and it was during the 1970s and she says to to Laurel I won't tell you which small farm I came from So I'm guessing she came from a very conservative town and that she couldn't be who she truly was. um, So she went to New York. I would have gone to LA personally, but (laughs) beggars can't be choosers. Um, She, we find out that she basically um, turned to sex work to earn money for food and drugs. And during this time, she actually had gotten her life together. She had a girlfriend at the time um, and she ended up meeting a man called the master in a bar. And she said, even though I was, I think she says like flamboyantly gay, that she was still attracted to the master and that there was just nothing she could do about it. Um, And eventually Duke became one of the brides of the master along with, I think there were two other, uh, two other girls. And that she was a slave and that she never felt like herself ever again. Um, One night she took a chance at getting out of this lifestyle that she'd become addicted to and attacks the master, bites his neck. Another bride uh, gets a fucking flamethrower and burns him up. And and I was like, whoa, I was not expecting that. Um, And... The only problem they had with that is that his heart refused to burn, so they put it in a box and locked it in the vault, where she slowly consumes it bit by bit. (laughs) Ew. I know. Could you not try and just do it all in the one or just ever, yeah, just the thought of that, though. Yeah, she says, though, um, every time she consumes a little bit, she feels him kicking around in her head. So that's why she hasn't eaten the whole thing. Um. And she says some really great things here. And she's like, you know, men knew they wouldn't be held accountable. Tell me that I'm wrong. And um, I picture a world where every woman is a vampire. Let men be the ones who are fucking afraid of jogging at night. And I was like, yes. That is very I, powerful. Yes. And the thing is, I try to, I have this weird cognitive dissonance with that. Because I try to deny the fact that I don't run at night because it's it's dark and I can't see in the dark. But I think I'm actually genuinely scared that something will happen to me. Even though nothing has ever happened in my neighbourhood. I could potentially be that person that that something happens to. And that is an incredibly real fear. And even, even myself, like I don't go 
jogging at night but because of like covid and, and everything um i've been going on you know going on walks to get fresh air and it's generally a bit quieter at night but even like without realizing sometimes my my reaction is always to have my keys in my hand and to have something as a safety precaution and that's just instilled in me just yeah. to have have that have that fear you know i don't even need to think about it so um yeah i felt that i felt that line. To, we're conditioned to be automatically defensive and and terrified in situations where we are vulnerable exactly and men out there who put on twitter oh i feel scared when i jogged at jog at night and it's like yeah but why are there like mountain lions in your area that are going to come and eat you a giant moose that might headbutt you like come on <laughs> like your your gender is less likely to be attacked at night while alone statistically speaking actually backed up by facts i'm not going to get statistics out because i'm just not doing that <laughs> i don't owe anybody anything on that um but it's 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 very very true yeah absolutely and um i think that uh men need to start acknowledging that that is a genuine fear for women rather than being like oh, well don't jog at night then no i should be able to jog at night <laughs> you get to why shouldn't I? But you get to. That's um, <laughs> that's a perfect example of inequality, inequality there, and not having yeah. access to the same things. So yeah, yeah. Um, I'm just trying. Where am I? Oh, okay. So we're back at the start of the movie. Who we're able to start making some connections that the woman at the start of the movie who's turning a man was actually the first bride of the master who was locked up in the hole. She's the one that broke the rules. She did turn that guy into a vampire. And yeah, it's kind of, now we've got that connection planted with us. And we're like, okay, I didn't really get it at first. And I was like, oh, why is this here? <laughs> yeah, you but need a bit of the backstory to, to make sense of it. Yeah. Um. So Laurel gets back home. Her mum's calling her saying, um, you know, and I love it because she's so genuinely um, very naive and she, like, makes sure that the dad's not around and closes the door and she's like, look, we know you're experimenting and all, but you're staying away from the hard drugs, right? (laughs) (laughs) And I was just like, oh, that's so funny. Uh, However, just previously to this, um, Izzy and her had had a conversation about – growing old and people noticing and um, is he saying, you know, you're going to have to say goodbye to your family and like, they're eventually going to age and you won't. And so we can kind of see that Laurel is trying to disconnect in a way with the conversation that she's having with her mom. Cause she's like, Oh, I'm tired. And Oh, I just didn't get enough sleep and, and whatnot. And then um, later that night, Andy FaceTimes Laurel because he hasn't been able to get actually he faces facetimes mark because he hasn't been able to get a hold of laurel and he's like so surprised like so excited because he's coming down to la to visit and laurel basically tells him that it's not a good idea i'm going through something like you shouldn't you shouldn't come down here um he gets really upset because he's like i knew this was gonna fucking happen and after this scene laurel just continues to screen andy's calls and ignore his texts so we've seen that dynamic 
absolutely shift. And it actually gets quite sad, the story between Andy and Laurel. It does, but I do understand where Laurel's coming from because she's emotionally preparing herself what's for what's to come. It's it's probably better to try to try and cut ties now rather than, you know, years later. And as you say, well, there's only so much time before people begin to notice. Oh, why aren't you aging? Or, or like you say, they're aging and they're eventually going to pass, and you're not. So I understand yeah. the logic behind it. Yeah, it's just so sad. It is sad. That's why teenage vampire movies, I get so sad. (laughs) Gets you right in the heart. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Laurel goes for a walk and she's wandering around and runs into a girl named Cece who's throwing up um, in a gutter, incredibly drunk, waiting for her Uber. Um, Laurel is uh, distracted by the pulse of Cece's neck and goes to attack her, but when she, like... I don't know, like, pushes out her fangs. What's that called? When they, I don't know, her fangs come out. And there's a word for it. Yeah, I can't think of it Uh, just now either. (laughs) Um, Cece sees it and runs away, but is, like, instantly picked up by Duke, who can fly, vampires can fly, by the way, um, and killed. And Duke says to her, I am so profoundly bored by your crisis of conscience. I was just like I love that (laughs) she's just so annoyed with her at this point and she's like the longer you fight this hunger the bigger the mistake you're gonna make and later that does happen because um uh when Laurel gets back to the apartment Mark confronts her with the news that Andy has tried to take his own life and um previous to that when I was saying that Andy like Laura was ignoring Andy's calls and texts he had sent like a whole bunch of like sad faces and angry faces and um all these emojis and that was the same night that this happened um so (laughs) it's just a really and this happens, obviously, between yeah. siblings. But Mark um, basically argues that Laurel has neglected everybody her, in her life at this point because he doesn't understand what she's going through. And Mark confesses that he moved to LA to get away from the emotional trauma that Laurel has caused him. Um, which I, I'm i assuming that this refers to... This could refer to anything. And this is where I see in reviews where people were like, Oh uh, yeah, so Laurel's meant to be transgender. Why isn't that the most important aspect of this film? And I was like, because it's not. Doesn't need to it's be. It's a vampire movie. <laughs> it's literally a fucking vampire movie. <laughs> she just happens to be a transgender actor playing a female, like transgender female playing a female role, as she should. Um, yeah, so people are like, well, is this the part where, you know, he's talking about her transition? And it's like, it could be about anything. It could be about a multitude of things that we as the viewer haven't been subject to on screen because we're only getting, I, I, I can't remember the exact runtime, but it's under like two hours of seeing these characters. You know, it's, we don't know what's happened in the rest of their lives together. It could have yeah. been something else. It doesn't, you don't automatically have to go to the, oh, is it because that Laurel's trans? No, don't yeah. make assumptions. There's no need. Because that, and like I said, it's not an, this film isn't built to be a film about a transgender woman. No. The character is a trans character, 
but it's handled with precision and care and respect and just the same way that Bex was in Assassination Nation. Exactly. It just Yeah. I don't understand I don't understand people's reaction to a transgender character well not even a transgender character a woman played by a trans woman and the trans aspect has to be the most important part like why in a vampire film would that be critical to the storyline yeah it just it just doesn't make sense to me i'm trying to find an example of something else but i really can't think of something that because it just it's really ridiculous to me <laughs> and i'm trying to find something that's equally as ridiculous that's also I, I can't i can't even i can't even think but it's it's taken something that's mentioned once once yeah. one line and you're you're just exactly it's about badass vampires <laughs> like why why do we need to focus on one of them that happened happens to be trans. I just I just don't get it. Yeah, someone literally gave it a one star review because of that, and Ugh. I was like, "We're both putting our our faces in our hands." <laughs> like, no, just say that you don't support LGBT people. Just say it. <laughs> It'd be much easier. Just say it. You don't need to give it a one star review because I personally on Letterbox gave it a four star review. And to me, being queer, I felt highly represented in this film. So, <laughs> and a woman, a queer woman, I felt incredibly represented in this film. Same. It, 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 in a way that actually felt genuine yeah. as well, which is rare to and find. That, that's exactly right. Um, I think that was the word I was trying to find, that if they centred this story around Laurel being trans, it would be disingenuous. I completely agree. It did, I, I'd probably give it a two-star rating. Because <laughs> I'd just be like, that's not pivotal to this story, damn it. <laughs> um, but Mark does say to Laurel, I never stood in the way of you becoming who you are, but what you are now is a selfish bitch. And I was like, oh, I'd smack my brother if he said that. But she doesn't smack him, she attacks him and bites him on the neck. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, you know, same thing. Yeah. Except the fact that this is the mistake that Duke was talking about yeah. happening. And Laurel instantly panics and takes him to the warehouse, you know, demanding that the girls help turn him. But obviously their rule, no men. Um, she knows that she needs to ask for the cure instead. Except Duke, who at this point now I am so angry with. Because Duke basically throws the vial at her and says it's like a bottle of um, Clearasil or something, like eye drops. And uh, there is no cure. So you're either going to be a vampire or we were going to kill you. And that Laurel now has to kill Mark herself, or she will. Um, so in a moment of pure chaos... <laughs> And I did not see this coming because I was like, whoa, what the fuck? Um, Laurel slits her own throat with her fingernail and bleeds into the drain, giving back power to the first bride who then escapes, grabs a fucking grenade, throws it at everybody. And 
I was like, what is happening? It went from zero to 100 real fast. I love the yeah. fingernail thing. I thought that was that really was cool. inventive. And it kind of made me like, I, and I'm not squeamish. And not necessarily that it's squeamish, but it's just quite, I don't know. I had a bit of a shudder thinking about it. I mean, I've got short nails yeah. anyway, but I was kind of, ooh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I loved how it looked. Yeah. It was, I was like, it was oh, cool. that's really cool. That looks cool. Um, but this is like, I think this is what Laurel's dreams were about because, you know, she's dreaming of her teeth falling out in and bleeding into the the drain. And that's where I think she got the idea from, obviously. Yeah. Um, she was like, okay, well, blood's going to, this is going to help me. This is going to help me out. So after this grenade goes off, the bride goes into the vault, um, slits her wrist over the heart of the master, which helps him regain his physical form. And I was like, that is a cool idea. I like that. Because I was wondering, how would he come back? It's a cool plot. Like, it's not something that I I, I immediately went to. You know, it, it was quite, it was quite, I was going to say different. It's not different, but it, it's just very in, inventive. And it's not the kind of yeah. usual trope, especially for, like you say, like a teen vampire movie. It's quite inventive and smart. I liked it. Yeah. I just liked this whole film because it was such an easy watch. I was like, yeah. It's got a lot of rewatch value for sure. Yeah, definitely. I think the next rewatch I'd pick up on different things. I didn't pick up the first or second watch and that's what, and that's why I've been reading so many different interviews and articles and reviews because I was like, I need to know what other people thought about this. I've become obsessed (laughs) with knowing what other people think about this film. (laughs) Oh, it's so easy to do though. And I was the same with, assassination nation as well i was like i need to read every single thing that's ever been said about this movie i did the same thing (laughs) like i was on i was on a youtube hole watching interviews that ended up with like interviews with sookie waterhouse over a different film she had done and i was like (laughs) how did i get here youtube Uh, The master confronts the girls um, and basically tells them that Duke has been using her powers of influence um, because she's been consuming his heart, making her more powerful, and that she's been using them to influence their decisions around things that affect all of them. And she says, you know, I was doing it to, you know, then, like, make it easy for all of us. And it's just like you... I don't. Und- I, this was really under underdeveloped. This part mm-hmm. um, because I would have liked to have seen what the benefits were of Duke using her influence on them. Yeah, I feel like I feel like they could have expanded on on that on that a little bit more. I feel like they had they had time in this to they could have added at least a couple extra lines or maybe another scene or something or maybe it's a flashback to a different conversation explaining it or something along those lines yeah and I think that that would have just strengthened this scene if they did something like that but I mean it it feels like the only letdown besides like some poor scripting choices that I honestly the whole film it wouldn't I wouldn't have changed my thoughts about it anyway yeah, it's just if we were really looking at it, if you really wanted to nitpick at it for something, it, it would be th- those kind of things, yeah. which which is true. I mean, every movie is going to have that. There's not ever really a completely perfect movie. I, I say I say there will be to some people, but I haven't found one yet. I found that it is absolutely complete perfection in my eyes. So, 
Yeah, I struggle with that as well. I'll give something five, but I still don't think it's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and in this incredibly gruesome scene, <laughs> the uh, the master rips Duke's heart out and he goes to, like, burn it. But Laurel shows up and um, to save the the girls because what I didn't mention is that Mark had thrown Laurel in the back of the car and was driving away and Laurel demands that he stops the car so she comes back and she grabs a lighter and blows the entire bottle of Lysol or alcohol or whatever it is onto the master burning him. Roya goes in with the pool cube and stabs him basically incapacitating him um Duke is still alive, but she just doesn't have her heart. And that's the whole trope in this film about vampires can't die unless their heart burns, um, which is kind of cool, like a new twist on that that kind of how to kill a vampire. Yeah, I like that because usually it's dismembering and then just burning everything and then that's that, you know, nine times out of ten. So the fact it's the heart, like you say, it, it's it's playing on vampire lore but adding their own little twist to it yeah because what i really love is when she goes to grab it um laurel holds the heart and says maybe you you will reconsider my brother and drops the heart down the hole saying maybe you need some time to think about it so laurel goes in after the heart straight down the hole and they lock her in there um then this is our ending ending couple of minutes and the movie ends with Laurel explaining to Mark that they're vampires, that this is just the way it's going to be, too bad, so sad kind of thing. Um, and Mark says, just kill me because I don't want to drink blood. And she says, well, maybe we don't have to. So I'd like to know what they're actually eating instead. But I mean, maybe a sequel. <laughs> I, mean, I would love a sequel if we could get yeah. one. Yeah. And I love what Laurel says uh, says to Mark, she says, just because you're a dude doesn't mean you have an excuse to become a shithead. Control your goddamn behaviour and you'll be fine. <laughs> yes. Oh. And it's so perfect. And she basically says, I picture a world where everyone is a vampire because then we'll be forced to deal with each other and sort our shit out. <laughs> um, she decides that they should do what everyone with power does, uh, doesn't do, and share it. So the ending scene is Laurel taking a piece uh, from the from the master's heart and then offering the others in the vault to join her, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it's a cool ending. And, nice it, it, and it 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 does open it for for uh for a sequel, which I'm which I'm I'm, yeah. I'm hoping I'm I'm really hoping for. Yeah, I'd love to see one. But yeah, I really loved this. Um, I felt incredibly represented with relatable characters and, and backgrounds and um, they don't really explain uh, Roya's background except that she has a cat named Mr. Kitty <laughs> <laughs> but that uh, Frog basically um, is a tattoo artist and I thought her story was really cool yeah, uh, Roy. Yeah, Roya just has a cat, <laughs> and Izzy is a music <laughs> film director. <laughs> so they come from really cool backgrounds. I mean, I'm a cat owner. I get it. Yeah, I get it. I- I'm also a cat owner. Cat owners unite. I think, 
<laughs> that was just a really funny thing to put in because then, like, when they're talking about everyone, they're like, and Roya has a cat. <laughs> I feel like, like so, that's so mysterious. <laughs> I feel like that's something I would say if somebody asked me on the spot about something about me. Uh, I I have cats. <laughs> I have cats. Yeah, that. Oh god, that'd be me. How embarrassing! <laughs> <laughs> it's totally me. But um, I found this really, really comforting through the vampire tropes that they showed because I'm a lover of vampire movies, so I love to see uh, old tropes popping up and being reinvented with new tropes and it's just it's just a lot of fun i i really liked it and again i'm i'm also a big fan of of horror movies and i love love teen movies i love coming of age movies so to combine them both it's like chef's kiss um but what i really (laughs) like about this is even though there is um like more difficult scenes and there is like serious conversations that are had overall this movie is just fun it's witty yeah there's some really great lines in it. I know I'm taking it back, but it is one of my favorite movies of all time. It reminds me a bit of Jennifer's body, and it's just like this, like really. Sometimes the the writing, you're right, it can get a little bit like corny, but in general, like it's really funny. And you see, it's a comforting movie. It's it's the kind of movie that I would want to watch on a weekend where I want something that I know and it's reliable and it makes me feel good. And like you say, you feel seen. You feel seen. Yeah. In a fun way that isn't, you know, we we get a lot of queer movies or, you know, movies about queer stories and queer characters. It's so depressing and very, <laughs> very heartbreaking. And I get it. We need those stories, but we also need stories that are a little bit fun and a little bit silly. And if you can throw some gore in there as well, then perfect. Do it. Please. Thank you. I'll I'll take 20. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. Give us more. <laughs> I will have 20 of them, thanks. I love all of it. Um, yeah. So what would you rate this film out of five? Um, I would rate it probably, I was going to say between a four and a four and a half, but I'll give it a four. I really, really like this movie, and I think, like we said, the rewatchability of it is, it's definitely there. Um but but like you say, there is a couple of things in there with like the plot near the end. It feels like a little bit rushed, and like you say, some yeah. lines are a little bit corny. So for that, that's why it's a four. But overall, like I can't hate on this. I do really like it. I don't. And the thing is, like I don't hate on any horror movies really. Oh, so yeah. um, listeners, don't be surprised if I never hate on a movie because <laughs> I just can't. And this especially, uh, and like you were saying, you know. Um, Getting a queer story that isn't um, isn't depressing, isn't sad, isn't about um, isn't a, it is a coming of age without it being one of those depressing coming of age stories where it's just like oh I've heard this so many times like and it's gonna break my heart just like every other single one did exactly so I'm really glad it didn't yeah I'm really glad um so I'm having an absolute brain freeze um. This episode will be releasing in February, which is the wonderful Women in Horror Month, which looks at creatives in horror. Uh, you can go to www.w, I think it's Women in Horror, or I think you can just type in wh, uh, wihm.com, and it'll take you to a bunch of different people that they'll be highlighting during that month, which is really cool. You can also find them on Twitter, and I'll link that in the bio. So before we wrap up, I'm going to ask 
you, Lucy, what does Women in Horror Month mean to you? Um, Women in Horror Month to me, just kind of uh, as as we've mentioned before, I think for me, out of any genre that includes video games, literature, movies, I think you find it. I think it's very rare for you to find a genre that has so many female protagonists as the main characters that can just be badasses. And like how I said before, you know, in horror we can have somebody that is feminine but also really grotesque at the same time and yes they're they're you know we do also have some tropes that are not so great and you know I think horror is evolving and we're getting to see more more stories like we're seeing in bit but overall I think it's um it's celebrating women of of all of all races of all of all sexualities of all of all everything and like yeah it, it's a genre that I think that is continuing to to evolve and just um I just think it's all about celebrating badass women and I'm here for it every day of the week not just one month yeah. but it's nice to have a month <laughs> dedicated to it I have to say yeah look I'm really surprised that it's a whole month to be honest because it's normally just a day for yeah. other things so I am really incredibly excited for this year because um, 2020 put out some really fantastic films directed by amazing women. Um, We had some amazing um, women in horror films. We had, oh gosh, I wouldn't know about games because I stay away from horror games. Um, (laughs) I, I, um, Last of Us 2. I will just bang on about that forever. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I forgot all because see me and zombies. Uh-uh. <laughs> Fair enough. I really want to play it, but I'll be closing my eyes the whole game. So, <laughs> so we have some really amazing um, women in this community, and so this month of February, I am highlighting some really cool ones. You can check out the twitters, and I'll be posting some cool articles written by um, probably non-binary and and women uh, non-binary uh, writers and. Mm-hmm female writers in our community um articles to do with women in horror so thank you so much lucy for joining me again where can we find you on social media thank you for having me i always love being gone here with you and talking about all Ah. all the things uh but yeah you can stop it (laughs) i do though i do um you can find me on twitter and twitch at lulu underscore pew and you can also find the podcast that i co-host behind the screams which is also a horror movie podcast on all the socials as well yes i'm just listening to the saw three episode today with katie i believe kate is that sophie sophie yeah oh sophie's great i love her yeah uh, I love that she's talking about how she's worried that people can't understand what she's saying. And I'm like, oh, no, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. We understand you. Don't worry, I can hear you. I get it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, check out Lucy at all the places that she mentioned. Don't forget you can find TGIF on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at TGIF Pod. If you love the podcast, I'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and leave a review on iTunes or anywhere you get your podcasts. If you'd like to send an email, you can contact me via contact at TGIFpod.com. You've been listening to TGIF. See you next Friday.